0: We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Matters podcast. I'm Laura Suter and
0: with me is Danny Houston. Hey Danny. Hi Laura. Hi everyone. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. And to those of you who have become regulars, I've got some really important news to share with you because you're all officially cool. Oh Danny, <laughs> saying cool is not cool.
1: Anyone who says cool <laughs> isn't cool. But I take your point, because talking about money or thinking about your finances or budgeting, paying down debt, all of those cool things that we've been talking about for a while is now actually a massive
0: TikTok trend. It's been called loud budgeting. Yeah, some of those Gen Z millennial types say that the whole thing started as a big joke, but it's really caught off and for good reason, because look, so many of us are having to say, no to doing stuff at the moment, to going out, to spending money that we don't have or really want to do something else with that money. And, and you're right, cool might not be cool. My kids certainly don't think so. But this is cool. I like the idea that kind of prioritising your money for something
1: else is now a really positive social media trend. Um, I'm excited for that. And obviously that something else that you want to do with your money, includes saving and investing so that you can make your money work harder for you. And that is what our interview today is all about. So we're bringing you a really inspirational story from a woman who budgeted, saved, invested from an early age, and that has given her the ability to fund fertility treatment but more importantly as she says gives her options in life about what she could do so looking forward to listening to her
0: yeah Trish Houston's story is such a brilliant one so do keep listening but first let's dig into loud budgeting I even like the way it sounds I feel like I really want to shout it so the term seems to have originated with a US TikTok sensation called Lucas Battle. Now, he posted this just before the turn of the year, and that post has had more than 1.4 million views. And he's now been interviewed about that term by some pretty heavyweight publications like The Wall Street Journal. And he has really struck a chord, I think, because everyone does seem now to be talking about the ways that they are loud budgeting. And there are so many different TikToks out there with people explaining the ways that they're loud budgeting, how they're saying no to people, how they're saving cash. And I really do think, Laura, that we should get some credit for this trend because we have been very loud about how people can budget over this past year. Exactly. Let's say we started it. we just... (laughs) didn't quite
1: get that viral sensation on TikTok that this guy has but I love it I think it's really good and actually I think it kind of taps into something that we've talked about before which is that with all of the downsides that the cost of living crisis higher interest rates higher inflation all of that stuff has come with actually it's come with the benefit that people were willing are willing to talk about money more you know Chatting about mortgage interest rates has become a really common thing where people didn't talk about it previously. Chatting about kind of budgeting or I know that from my own WhatsApp groups that I'm in sharing some money saving tips or oh I got this good deal on here is way more common now, I think, than it was before. So hopefully one of the benefits of the cost of living crisis is that it's made talking about money Way less taboo in comparison to previously.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had a message the other day about some really cheap toilet paper that was on sale at one of the local supermarkets. So, you know, that just goes to the show, the standard of the conversations that I have with my fellow mums up here in Huddersfield. But you're absolutely right. We started this podcast a couple of years ago because we were carrying out with our friends and finding that they were more than happy to talk about sex or to talk about their kids or talk about their jobs, but they just weren't interested, didn't feel comfortable talking about money in the same way that they do now. And I think it's really refreshing. And I think, actually, although this did seem to start as a bit of a joke and it surely has come out of a really, really difficult time for a lot of people, it does mean that saving, investing thinking about your money, making sure that it's working for you, and deciding what you are going to do with your money, and sharing that with other people, that has become commonplace. And I think that going forward, that is going to be a brilliant thing if we can keep hold of that. And there does seem to be a lot more confidence as well. We're talking about what's been a really difficult period of time. And I know a lot of people are still struggling. But consumer confidence actually hit the highest for two years, according to a survey by GSK, which comes out um, every month. And that is because people are beginning to feel better about their personal finances, perhaps because they're making these loud budgeting decisions. And I think it's great that there is that bit of positivity. And
1: I don't want to be the Debbie Downer here. But (laughs) there are definitely signs that while there's that positivity, we're not out of the woods yet. And we know that that there has been a default on mortgages and credit cards in the run-up to Christmas. And we would expect that to continue, you know, as credit card bills land in January and February um, and people really look at how they're going to pay for that. What we're expecting is an increase in defaults. So this is where people get behind on their debt. Um, and for that to continue throughout 2024. Now, that feels a bit weird to say when we think about the fact that we've got inflation falling and people are feeling more positive because there's that sign that maybe these really rising prices are coming to an end and that, you know, things like energy bills have dropped a bit. There's those signs of positivity. But the real issue here is that there's a lag when the Bank of England raises interest rates. There's a lag between when they raise them and the real impact that it has on people. So if you think about all those people out there who haven't had to remortgage yet, then they felt a bit of that increase of interest rates a bit of that pressure on their budgets but they've not felt the full force of it until they come to remortgage and so what we're going to see this year is more people rolling over from their fixed rate mortgage onto a new deal that's then going to cost them more money and that's where they might hit trouble the same you know with personal loans people might have got through for now but then find that they've run out of money for that or that rates have gone up and so There is a bit of a kind of word of caution for the year ahead that while we are seeing some of those key figures, you know, inflation dropping, potential for interest rate cuts now, some people still will be feeling the effects of those cumulative interest rate rises that we saw over the past couple of years.
0: And I do think it is worth taking stock of where we are with inflation, because obviously we had that surprise uptick last month. So in December, instead of inflation continuing to fall, it actually went up now just by a teeny, teeny, tiny bit. And in terms of the trend, I think most economists certainly seem to say that it will keep falling. And when you look at the impact of what we were dealing with last year compared to what we're dealing with this year, that certainly does seem to be the case. But We have had higher energy bills. Now, I've got some good news for you. I am not going to be the Debbie Downer here because Cornwall Insights, um, who puts out these numbers uh, to give us an idea of what that energy price cap is going to look like when it is set the next time out. So this is um, where it is going to be from April and it's expected to fall by a whopping 16%. Hooray! So the average um, house will be paying uh, £1,928. That's what they've got at the moment. And it will fall to £1,620 from April. That's a big jump, Laura.
1: Yeah, that is. And that will have a real impact on people's budgets, obviously, obviously. That is the average amount. If you have higher energy usage, you, you know, your bill will be higher. But um, yeah, that drop in energy costs will be a real boost to people, I think. And we are seeing, you know, even though that inflation number ticked up slightly, we are seeing the costs of some items at the supermarket, for example, are actually dropping now. So not only just not increasing by as much, but but falling as well. I think the other thing to look at as well is interest rates because as I talked about there they have such a huge impact particularly on those with mortgages but not only that people who rent as well will see their rents increase as a result of their landlord's mortgage costs going up so it's not just an issue that affects homeowners um and what we're seeing there is that the path for interest rate cuts is not that far off so if we look at those market expectations and again these are just expectations this isn't baked in but we're expecting to see the first rate cut around June this year, and then for rates to be cut at each meeting of the Monetary Policy Committee um, for the rest of this year. So that would be a significant drop in interest rates by the end of this year, if that did come to pass. And that will help anyone whose mortgage date is further out. So if you're... um, you know, your fix comes to an end in 2025, or even the end of this year, that could put you in a much better place than where we are at the moment. But I want to add my huge caveat in here, which is, that is what everyone's expecting at the moment. When we all know these things can change. We've learned by brutal experience over the past couple of years that the economic situation in this country can change dramatically. But um, if that does come to pass, then, then that will be a real boost for people's ha- household budgets.
0: And there is a tiny fly in the ointment to all this as well, because uh, I'm sure most people have been reading the news and looking at their phones and getting those news updates and shipping costs and the shipping disruption being caused in the Red Sea. That is causing a huge amount of uncertainty about where prices might potentially go. So it's one of the reasons that we thought loud budgeting today would be such a good topic to tackle, because it does help deal with lifestyle creep. It makes it okay to say, do you know, I'm not going out to the pub tonight. I'm not going to buy that really expensive handbag that I've been looking for for ages. My mates just messaged me to say it is on offer and I should go out and buy it immediately. No, I'm not going to do that because I'm saving up for a wedding, for a holiday, to put some more money in a pension, maybe just to give myself that little buffer and I am actually sitting in the dark at the moment, pretty much. So I've not got my overhead light on because it was a ridiculous orange colour, but also that helps me loud budget. That and I've also not got my heating on right now, but I think you do have your heating on, Laura. Hey. You've outed me <laughs> on the podcast. i treated myself <laughs> to an hour of
1: heating and now I shall be publicly shamed. <laughs> but yes, I think it's all about targeting that lifestyle creep like you talk about. But one thing that I find really motivational is thinking about what you're saving for. So rather than saying, oh, I'm going to go without that particular thing because I need to save some money, actually think about if I go without that thing, that helps me get towards my target of saving X amount for that emergency fund, or that holiday at the end of the year, or whatever it may be um, that you want to save for. I find it way more motivational if you've got a thing in mind that you're saving for, and then you're sacrificing those items for that future win, rather than just beating yourself up and saying, "Oh, I shouldn't spend as much money. I should, I should budget a bit more." Um, so that has really helped me, but. I mean, I feel like it's a constant battle, isn't it, against that lifestyle creep, (laughs) against the slightly more expensive item, the item that you've been sucked in by social media into thinking you need to buy. It's a
0: constant battle. Now, I have a huge win to share with you because my eldest, who started work a year ago and has been spending, spending, spending on clothing, actually opened A savings account last week. And it's exactly as you just said. It's because she's got something coming up. She's going to Spain on a school trip in the summer and she wants some spending money for that. And I've said, well, look, you know, um, maybe I'll give you 50 quid, but that's your lot. So if you want to really go and enjoy, you'll have to save up. And she has started. So she's got 50 quid now in a savings account from the wages that she got. And by the time she goes in the summer, she should have a few hundred quid. And hopefully then that thing that she's learned about saving that habit she'll keep doing and it's really interesting because this trend of course started with younger people and they have been disproportionately impacted by the cost of living crisis but loud budgeting as I've just demonstrated is useful at any age with my lack of lights and no heating on And I just wanted to flag that we're hosting a special in-person event in London on Thursday, the 7th of March to mark International Women's Day. And this one's aimed at women in midlife or Queen Ages, as one of our guests, Eleanor Mills from Noon, has dubbed us. Uh, Maybe not you so much, Laura, but definitely me. (laughs)
1: Well, we would love to see you there. So like Danny says, it's focused on midlife finances. So really uplifting stories about career changes later in life, getting back into work after a career break. um, The fact that it's never too late to think about your financial future. There'll be a big focus on pensions and then how to bring all of that together and make sure that you're saving enough. So maybe you could loud budget in order to give yourself a bigger pension pot.
0: Yeah, there's going to be plenty of reminders about it on our social media. To sign up, just pop onto our website, ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk. It is a free event, but places are limited. We'll have the usual fizz and nibbles, so you'll be able to loud budget that night by eating and drinking on us rather than going out and eating and drinking. It's also a brilliant chance to support our charity partner, SmartWorks. Now... If you are not convinced by Laura and my discussion just then about lab budgeting, I am betting that our next guest might just change your mind.
1: I think so. We wanted to cover some stories of inspirational investing. So really give you examples of women who've saved their money, embraced investing and how they've used that money. We can all definitely be guilty of thinking that investing is something that we should do and just see it as kind of saving money in a pot. But really what we should focus on is what investing can allow us to do. So the life choices that it opens up. So as a result, we are speaking to Trish Houston. She's Chief Operating Officer at Law DeBenture, which is a financial company, so she does have the benefit of working in the industry to give her a head start. But as she explains, her savings habits predated that. She's used saving and investing to enable her to have children by herself, and now she is the proud solo parent to two daughters. But she credits her early decisions to save and invest with the life choices that she's been able to make now. So hi, Trish. First up, I want you to talk to me about how you got into investing for the first time. What was the thing that spurred you into taking that first step into investing?
2: So I think, um, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to grow up in a family where we talked about money uh, and we understood what it was. So from from really quite a young age, I was always encouraged to get jobs. So again, sort of so things that you probably in this day and age people might not do as much, but I was off working at the age of about 13 saving money um and my parents always encouraged me to save up rather than sort of frittering it away on sweets and things so I think I had it sort of built into me at quite a young age um and then I, I think the, the first sort of investment that I made was something that I I suspect in this and age you probably wouldn't really be allowed but I remember I bought it was I think it was it was called a guaranteed equity bond so it was back in uh, in the late '90s, I invested through my bank in um, in a product that yeah, I, I suspect in this day and age I wouldn't be allowed to, but it meant that I put some money aside in a bond that that had this guaranteed return five years later, um, and didn't really think that much more about it to to be honest. But it was it was the money that I'd saved up just from working, um, and what then happened was five years later when it matured, it was quite a lot bigger than it was when I first put it in, and I think that just Made me start realizing that um, if you did something sensible with money rather than just leaving it in a cash bank account, you got quite a lot, you could get quite a lot more the other end. And so, you obviously continued
1: on that investing journey as um, you got older and and went
2: into a career. How did that kind of evolve from that first bond that you bought? Um, Well, as, as soon as I started working and having any sort of spare money, I would always um I'd always put some aside that was like I said that was the kind of habit that that was probably introduced to me um by my parents and um I always knew that I wanted to go to Australia when I qualified so I trained as an accountant um I knew I wanted to go to Australia and so I started saving up for it and and um you know this was pre-financial crisis so again I rather than putting that money in bank accounts I put it in these sort of bonds that you could back in the day, just go and buy from your bank. Um and it meant that when I when I reached a stage that I could go to Australia, I had an, a nest egg that was probably quite a lot bigger than I'd expected. I mean you've got to think back that in the late 90s interest rates were kind of similar to what they are now really. They were sort of five, six, seven percent. So if you put something in in something where you got that that compounding over five years or so, um, you you look back I actually looked back at it looked back knowing that I was going to be speaking to you and I think it was something like about a 55 or 60 percent return over five years um which means that that actually that that looks like quite a different number when it comes out the other end than it did when it when the money went in
1: yeah definitely and um you kind of touched a bit on one of them there in terms of saving up to go to Australia and that being your goal but what other kind of life opportunities do you think that investing and, and being savvy with with that investing has opened up for you?
2: I think the the main thing is is choices. So it gives you if you if you feel comfortable because you feel like you've got some security, it means that you're able to make choices that are the right choices for you rather than um, rather than having any sort of fear of what might happen. So I, th- I think it's gives you the opportunity to, to an extent, take f- financial risk off the table a little bit. So I think that the, the main one for me was that when I got into my late 30s, obviously by this stage I've been working for 20 years and I've always sort of been squirreling a little bit away and um, uh, and I'd always put it in, in relatively low risk. I've never been someone who's taken high risk, um, Anytime that I've gone and just invested in a company, it's it's never paid off. I've always lost money in those situations. But when I've put money into sort of, um, I don't know, trackers or, or some kind of um, uh, quite well diversified um, fund of some description, it's, you know, over time, we know that that, that history has shown over time that that is, um, gives better returns than cash. So when I hit my late 30s and I was starting to think that I really wanted um, to have a family, I was I was lucky enough to be able to um, make the decision that was the right decision for me, which was to go ahead and do that on my own rather than um, doing it in a relationship that that um, that might not be quite the right one because I was worried about about the financial security. So it just gave me some peace of mind that if I was going to go ahead and um, you know embark on that route to parenthood on my own knowing that I had some money or some security um that if if I needed to I could I could use was really reassuring and it it just meant that I could take that like I said sort of take that off the table almost
1: and so you went on to you had two children by IVF and you're a solo parent now so do you think that investing do you think it was about giving you you know the physical money to pay for IVF and which as we know, is not a cheap process. Or was it more about kind of opening up the options to you or a bit of both? Is it a mindset
2: thing or a practicality
1: thing or a bit of both? For
2: for me personally, because I because I had a job and I was, you know, as I was able to um support myself financially, it was for me personally, it was more about um the security rather than actually dipping into the cash. So knowing that I had Um, A safety net if I needed it you know entering into parenthood is is a big um, is a big unknown for people and you don't know whether you're actually going to find that that um, the the lifestyle that you have before children is going to be the same as after and before I had children I'd um, you know I'd I'd always had work I'd always really enjoyed my work um, and, and I'd been really lucky in that regard but I didn't know whether suddenly having a child to look after might change change things so knowing for me that I had some safety net um, that I could get hold of if I needed to was really reassuring, so I'd say it was it was more about the peace of mind than it was about actually having to to dip into it and at the time did you kind of talk to people
1: around you about that? the fact that you'd invested in that that had opened up opportunities for you? Because we know that, you know, people inherently just don't talk about their finances that much. They don't talk about money that much. Um, but I mean, because you were obviously in a more unique situation there in terms of having having children by yourself. And so did that open up the ability to have some of those conversations?
2: It, it did. And, and partly because of that, partly partially because I just also feel really passionately about um, about female financial literacy and women understanding um the the benefit of being able to have that that financial security and it, it's interesting actually I was doing some work before I before I had children myself but I was doing some work with a um a charity about um educating women and it, it I just found it really interesting that when you look at the the data women are women save more of their disposable income than men and that's you know there's, there's a lot of data to support that but they are far more likely to put it in a bank account and not really do much with it. And, and actually um, there was a lady that, that I used to work with who I'd um, had lots of conversations with about this sort of seven or eight years ago. And I actually saw her really recently. um, And she, she sort of joked, oh, Trish, I still haven't got round to um, putting my money in an investment, my ISO into investments. It's still in cash. I I knew you were going to be really cross with me when I told you that. I said, well, actually, um, you know you've that was about six or seven years ago we had that conversation and you've had that money sitting in cash for six or seven years when we've had some really high inflation so you will that 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 money will be worth I mean I I don't know the exact number but at least sort of 20 or 30 percent less in terms of spending power today than it was six or seven years ago so even our even the the investment trust that I work for, which is, uh, you know, a very fairly diverse um, portfolio. If you'd invested a thousand pounds with us ten years ago, it would now be worth over two and a half thousand pounds. So, when you put it into the context like that, and you see money sitting in a bank account, almost losing value, versus putting it in something that is, um, you know, a, a relatively lower risk investment proposition it's it's really quite stark when you see the compound interest and i you know i would never suggest to somebody that that they that they put something into anything that was kind of very you know moved a lot in value or had or they didn't understand i think it's really important when you're investing that you understand what you're putting into but there are lots of products out there that are um you know very diverse very clearly sort of labeled and if you look at their performance over a 10-year period there's a pretty reasonable chance that it's going to be materially different to it sitting in a bank account and I think it's it's a real shame that people um would just put their money in a bank account and think that they're doing a really great thing by saving but it's actually losing value by just sitting there it's, it's, it's really disappointing
1: yeah I'm glad we are definitely on the same page there and that's part of what we're aiming to do here but um I mean you've already talked about some pretty big kind of goals for your investing um presumably you'll continue continuing to invest and are there things that you've got on the horizon or in the future that you're also targeting those investments towards now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm at the stage I've got two young children. Um, I again really lucky. I really enjoy my work. I really love being a working mom. For, for me at the moment, I think it sets a great example to my children. And and you know, I love talking to them about why I work and what that means for us as a family. Um, but I'm also at that stage at the moment when my children are really young. So um, I've got it, it's it's actually it's actually easier when they're really young to have the kind of wraparound care that you that you need to to allow you to go to work every day i don't know how that will change as they get older as as they start primary school as they start secondary school and and i'm very much focused on making sure that at those really critical points i'm able to make the decision that works for my family um and as much as possible um be able to make them yeah based on what works for us rather than rather than just money you know i'm i realize that i'm going to be working for for quite a, a lot longer but i think for that um, that there will definitely be points where I'll need to reflect on whether doing the type of work and the the amount of work that I do is the right thing. At the moment, I love it. Um, But but those are probably the points I think about there. And then the other things are, um, I am very much thinking about their future and how do I use investments um, to give them some of those opportunities when they grow up and there's actually, you know, there's quite a lot of options out there. You've got um you've got junior ICES, you can start thinking about pensions and things from a really young age. So I think a lot of people don't realise that that you can start pensions um for children as soon as they're born. Um, you know, and if you're looking at 60 years of compound interest, you're probably um, you know, the impact of that when they grow up would would be great if you're able to do that. So so for me it's about um continuing to make sure that i've got security that means i can make the choices that are the right ones for for my family really i think that's such a good example of bringing to life why
1: investing isn't just the kind of pounds and pence of investing going into account it's actually you know the opportunities or what investing can buy us in the future um And how do you think that we kind of as a finance industry, but also as people chatting to our friends can reframe that from a relatively, I don't want to say dull, but uh, (laughs) not the most interesting thing to actually reframing it in people's minds of like, this is opportunities, this is life choices.
2: But I think I think you know that's exactly the point, isn't it? That pounds and pennies is like oh, so you mean you're telling me that I can't go and do whatever it is I want to do today, so that I can put some money in an investment account? That sounds a bit boring. Whereas if you're starting to paint the picture of um, of things that actual tangible things that can be done in the future and decisions that can be made, etc., it's that's much that's much more interesting. I also think we're we're in so much of a better. Um, position today than we were, you know, when I first started work 20 years ago, I didn't have the likes of an AJ Bell app I could have on my phone and a a really simple platform that I could engage with. But there's lots of these around now. There's, um, you know, there's a whole range. You can, you've got the opportunity to uh, be an inexperienced investor and choose some kind of product that somebody's already created for you and thought about. Or if you, you know, if you're more confident with it, you can do much more, much more complicated things. But Access access shouldn't really be a problem anymore. I think twenty years ago it was, and if I if I think about you know tootling along at the time, I think I was with the Halifax where I bought my 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 guaranteed equity bonds, which is um, yeah a bit mind blowing. But that, that was probably quite a brave thing to do, aged eighteen, to go and put my money into that. And I, but nowadays it's it's so accessible, it's so easy um, that I don't really see why we can't um you know we can't talk about it. i have actually got another friend who i i said to her look let's sit down together and and i'll help you set up your account on on one of on one of the um platform providers and i think at the time there was a referral i said look i'll even give you i will give you the money that i get given as the referral so i will basically pay you to sit with me for me to help you get um Get your ISA going, and or move your ISA out of cash into into something suitable. And you know, a year and a half later, we still haven't got round to doing it. So, it's it's one of those um, it's one of those life admin things that feels like a hurdle to do. But once you've done it, if you can set up um, a direct debit or something, so that there's just a bit of money that comes out every month into something that you trust. Um, And if you've got patience, I think in 10, 15, 20 years, um, you'll be really pleased, really proud of yourself.
1: Back to your colleague um, and thinking about her who who was, you know, remaining in cash and hadn't got around to investing. There is that propensity for women on average to stick with cash rather than invest it. Um, And there's loads of research out there on, on kind of why that might be. But what do you think the biggest barrier is for women that perhaps doesn't exist so much for men who are investing more
2: i think that um my experience is that women are probably a bit more risk averse than the men and because they don't quite understand it they don't quite want to take that risk um and i think if there's a way that we can really demystify it and again i, th- I think there's lots of products and things that are, that are out there now which are really simple to use and if we can help women to understand what they are um that's really helpful but i i think on in general women are in in the investment space probably a bit less willing to take risk than men And, and when i say risk i'm not talking about risk in a in a sort of investing context i mean they understand what cash in the bank is they can see a number and they can see it growing and they can understand it i think perhaps they don't understand um how investments work and i think the the idea that it could go down in value might put them off um so i think if there's a way to help people understand what their investing timeline is and, and understanding that actually sure if you want if you want to um, to get your money out in three weeks' time is not a great option. But if you can, if you can put something aside, and if you're looking in terms of years, um, actually, th- uh, the data oh, there, there will be ups and downs, and obviously past performance isn't an indicator of future performance. But um, the 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 data and the history shows us that over time it it makes a really big impact. I think that women perhaps don't see that so much. I think they think they're probably more nervous about the losing money than than men are. Um, and then I think there's a language, there's a sort of language barrier. There's, there's, there's lots of scary words when you open up um, an investment platform or you start talking to people about it. There's loads of words that, they, that people don't understand. So I think education, if we can, you know, as a society, if we can bring this into school and help to educate people at an early age, that would make a huge difference.
1: And so what advice would you have for women who kind of keep thinking about investing
2: but haven't got around to actually starting that investing journey yet? Um, I would say just get on with it, but do something really simple. All of the platforms, AJ Bell, there are other ones as well. They've they've got really simple products, really simple ways to invest. But I think the two biggest bits of advice would be don't be greedy. I think if if you think that you're going to make some huge return, anything that's promising you, um, you know, a really huge return over the short term. I wouldn't be putting my money into unless I really understood what it was. Um and then I think the other thing is patience. You can't um you can't put money into investments and look at it every single day and then panic. You have to understand what your timeline is. So perhaps it's because you want a deposit for a house. Well realistically when are you going to buy a house? If it's if it's six months time, you might want to keep it in cash. If it's in six years time, Um, you know investing it is probably going to be better a better option but you need to um, in in my opinion you need to um, have some patience and uh, not be greedy so don't put your money into something that's that where the returns look like or they're promising returns that are too good to be true because in my experience that never really works
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really useful um, to hear and hopefully we've inspired some people to start investing. So thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks,
0: Laura. What an absolutely amazing story. And I'm sure that it's got all of you thinking about your own financial journeys. What's important to you? How are you going about making sure that you can achieve those goals? Thanks so much to Trish for talking to us. If you've got an inspirational story, do get in touch because we'd love to talk to you on this podcast or just share them on social media because it is the kind of thing that I think that really demonstrates to people what your money can do for you. Now, Danny, I have to fall on my sword here and admit that I was
1: so caught up in trisha's story that i forgot to ask her for a financial confession or dilemma but hopefully our future guests will have good ones
0: so that is your confession this week ben laura <laughs> look thanks so much to all of you for listening to this episode of money matters do get in touch on social media with any thoughts questions Ways that you're allowed budgeting, we'd love it if you would tag us in on any of your TikToks or Facebook posts or Instagram posts where you can share with people the ways that you've allowed budgeted. When you've said no to going out because you're saving up for a brilliant holiday and you can give us a countdown to when you're going away. So we would love to hear from you. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, that thing that used to be called Twitter at AJ Bell Money Matters. And if you are in and around London
1: on the 7th of March, then we do hope that you'll come along to that in-person event. We've got Baroness Helena Morrissey coming along. We've got the SmartWorks team, Eleanor Mills from Noon, and our very own Rachel Vay to talk about pensions. But don't worry if that is not in the area you live in. We will be grabbing Eleanor and Rachel and speaking to them on this podcast in upcoming episodes. So, definitely
0: listen out for those if you're not able to make the in person event. And thanks to all of you that came along to our January detox special webinar. Brilliant tips from Laura. Um, And if you want to sign up for that International Women's Day event to personally pop along, then go to our website, ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk, go to the events page. And, handily, you can also sign up to our newsletter there so that you never miss an episode. And there's always a special note from one of the team on our newsletters as well. And next time, hopefully you're feeling inspired after hearing Trish's
1: story, and we will have an ISA special. So giving you a really simple explanation of what ISAs are, the different types of accounts, which ones might be right for you. So a real good starting point if you're thinking about that investing journey. Until then, thanks for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you if a certain investment is suitable or not. Don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that how you're taxed will depend on your individual circumstances and rules can change. The way an investment performed in the past may not be the
2: same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.